and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. It's nice to see you again. We keep, David, ships in the night. We keep yeah, missing each true. other. That's true. Because, yeah, it has been, even, I was going to say we've been doing the Patreon, but we recorded a chunk of those. Even then, it's been yeah. more than two weeks. It's been over two weeks since you and I um, have recorded anything uh, together, and that's just Patreon. We haven't actually done the podcast together in a month. This is the yeah. first episode of us doing this together since the top 10 of 2020. Episode. Yeah, I'm sure uh, people were wondering is everything okay? What's going on? It's like, no, no, no. It's just that, your business. Yeah, right. It's just David hates the Oscars. I hate TCM fest. Right. Uh, yeah. You are, you are creeped out by twins, uh, which right. is going to be a problem, I think for me. But uh, anyway, <laughs> no, we were, I mean, obviously, and I, I was supposed to do the summer movie preview and um, I was really like that whole day. I was really like, I'm going to feel better by tonight. I'm going to feel better by tonight. And like, yeah, I, I, I begged off at sort of an hour or so before we, <laughs> you guys were recording because I just wasn't feeling better. But hey, the upshot is that I'm all yeah. vaxxed now. And um, yeah, Jen had, a, she just got her, her second shot, not just, but like a, a, a week ago and uh, had a similar reaction to you where just day and a half, just like a day and a half terrible. And then she wakes up on that on the third day and she's like yep. oh it's fine and yep. th that's such an unusual concept with yeah. with illness you know but uh it's kind of awesome and the, and the super exciting part i mean because now that like um because my wife because of her job she's been vaccinated for a while but at the time that she was still vaccinated it didn't mean as much because everything was still like closed <laughs> you know what i mean but now that things are yeah. starting to open up like to bigger capacity my being vaccinated actually means something and so uh it's not actually as of this recording it's not actually my wife's birthday yet uh but this past weekend for her birthday um we uh stayed at a hotel and ate uh at uh a restaurant so my first time eating inside a restaurant since march of 2020 uh, I've gone to Denny's a couple of times, sometimes by myself, because uh, no one, no one that was vaccinated was available. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I went the other day with uh, with uh, our friend Dave Platt, um, and then because because of the kids, I don't go to bed as late as I used to, and uh, it used to be that Jason and I would go to Denny's because it was open all night and we would like often start our night by at 10 or 11. And now it's like, well, we need to end it by, by 10 or 11. And so we, we did go to, to Denny's at like eight. And Jason brought up a great point, which is, you know, now that it's regular hours, we could go to a better restaurant. And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we could, but let's have the first one be Denny's just on principle. But uh, anyway, all right. Um, so uh, very that, that that wasn't what I wanted to talk about at the top of the show. But very very happy to be uh, to be vaccinated to be able to see. Um, we've seen Natalie's family. We have plans to go see my family this summer. Like yeah. everything's super exciting. We're making uh, dinner plans with other vaccinated uh, friends. Um, but uh, so I'm very excited about that. But I'm also very sad because today. Um, Charles Grodin passed away the day we're recording this. It's been about Indeed. a week, probably by the time you're hearing this, but um, this is someone who uh, is an early comedy hero of, of mine. His, uh, his comedic style, his comedic persona was so specific and it was the kind of thing that um, I think 
in the 80s, 80s and 90s when people like you and I, budding comedy nerds, were watching things, Charles Gordon was someone we could point out and say, like, that's different. What he's doing feels different. It feels smart but not like he wasn't clever he was often quite goofy but yeah but in a way that it felt like that there was something um more so esoteric about his comedic persona that it was always downplayed you know i think of him in uh movies that like uh, uh so i married an axe murderer not a great uh sure. movie but he's got a great scene i don't know if you remember his scene in the movie where Anthony Paglia, who's the detective who's like bummed <clears throat> that being a detective isn't more like the movies. And right. he's so excited. He finally gets a chance to like commandeer a vehicle to go on a car chase. And Charles Grodin is, it happens to be the driver. And he's like, <laughs> no, you don't, you can't do that. <laughs> um, See, and then yeah. like driving him to the place. Um, yeah. he, it, it's, it is, it's really, when I found out about his death today, I was trying to think like, what, is, like, he, I think he's, I think he was a genius, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. Cause like, is it deadpan? It's like, no, cause he would yell. So what oh, yeah. was it? And I couldn't quite put my, I still can't put my finger on it. Um, that like, and the, and that he could be in something like catch 22, mm-hmm. uh, and then be the guy, the dad from the Beethoven movies, uh, like yeah. something that I forgot about until someone reminded me. Um, and then, and then, of course, obviously, there's Clifford. Clifford, and that's, where I mean, you know Clifford and Midnight Run, which are, yeah. couldn't be two like more different comedies, but uh, are the two movies that I most associate uh, with him. Uh, also, Dave, because I watched the last. Dave kid. is a big one. Uh, um, the Great Heaven Muppet Caper. Oh yeah, the Great Muppet Caper. He's uh, the he's the villain, as he actually says. Yeah. <laughs> this someone says, "Why are you doing this?" And he goes. Cause I'm the villain like, and just, and, and sells it. Like that was my first association with him. Certainly. Uh, but you mentioned uh, heaven can wait. Well, it's just cause I think that's a movie like, um, maybe like so I married an ax murderer where I think heaven can wait is kind of an overrated movie, but I think he and Diane Cannon are awesome in it. Like they're yeah. kind of the best part of the whole movie. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Clifford is, um, is insane and you had to be you'd have to you basically have two comedic geniuses martin short and charles yeah. groden who again a very different style but like charles groden who's who gave off this like i can't be bothered sort of gruff persona yeah but under that there was uh real comedic chops you said oh genius. yeah the fact that he saw what martin short was putting together with clifford and was like i get it and then showed that he fully got it, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't help, but, you know, I've talked on this show a lot about, uh, the best show podcast. It's like my favorite podcast. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan. And, uh, Tom Sharpling uh, hosts that podcast is a Charles Grodin, uh, nut. And he, um, two of his favorite lines in the history of movies are, uh, that he's talked about are from Charles Gordon movies. One is Clifford when he's telling Mary Steen Merchant that he loves kids. He's like, I love kids. I, I have a nephew. What's his name? I want to say, I want to say Mason. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then also when he was, when Tom Sheldon was putting out a list of the greatest movie quotes of all time, he included one from Beethoven, which isn't, it's just because it's Charles Grodin, Charles yeah. Grodin going, I hate our dog. <laughs> it's just like super funny because it's yeah, he could say like, that, that kind of sitcom uh-huh. bullshit 
becomes better because of of him yeah uh and in that same in that same scene from clifford i'm sure i've mentioned it before i love i want to say mason but then he says he goes she says well when did you last see him he goes oh no she says how old is he he goes Oh, I haven't seen him since the christening. He'd be older now. Uh, <laughs> uh, which also speaks, that's, uh, that is a well-written film on top of that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, we can't, I mean, I mentioned Midnight Run. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, it was one of my dad's favorite movies. Um, yeah. So I, uh, it's a movie I associate with, uh, with my dad and, and with that feeling of like, oh, I, I'm a kid, but I get, I get this comedy that is clearly aimed at a more sophisticated audience than not that midnight run is you know uh george bernard shaw but i'm saying like i was seven or eight years old in it i was like i get why this is cool maybe i was a little older that movie has charles groden and dennis farina i mean come on yeah it's hard to beat yeah also joey pants that's right yes yeah yafet koto who also recently r.i.p yafet koto Mm -hmm. um uh yeah so uh oh and then i also want i i know it's like dicey now to bring up louis ck because of like uh his his reputation but uh charles groden was on an episode or two of uh of louis as louis doctor um and uh it was probably the last thing i've seen him in you know he was in his 80s when he when he died so he probably would have been in his late 70s when he did these uh uh this couple of 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 louis episodes and it was uh um yeah he still he still had it he's still doing a very deadpan uh thing and uh there's a thing i think about a a bit of wisdom again i guess i'm crediting this to louis ck i know that's uh uh sketchy but he but charles gordon says the line he's uh uh louis ck encounters his doctor while he's out walking a three-legged dog and louis ck says something about feeling sorry for the dog or whatever and Charles Grodin says, the only thing happier than a three-legged dog is a four-legged dog. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I think about that. I apply that to, 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 to certain situations where, uh, what's there to be bummed about? <clears throat> like things could, you know, things yeah. aren't that much worse than the best possible <laughs> version yeah. for me. Yeah, I could, I could genuinely be just one rung down the ladder from my perfect life. Uh, and chances are it's me that's messing it up. Uh, yeah. And, and I do want to address the real quick, and I know that we have to, we have to move on, but uh, one of the most uncomfortable facts of life is that I won't even say bad people, but people that have done really bad things are also capable of tremendous wisdom. Uh, like yeah. there are oh, a yeah. number of, of quotes from Louis CK. I thought, I always thought his, in his standup was extremely insightful. And the fact that that can come from the same person as, as did all uh, that did all these things. Yeah. One does not, one does not uh, cancel out the other, nor does one, uh, uh, justify the other or, or, right. or whitewash yeah, good, it or whatever. That's a good point. It's, it's this, it's like, Oh, this is a hard thing to deal with. And it's just like, okay, yeah. so just glean what you can out of it. And that doesn't mean that you're saying like, obviously anybody, anything that this guy says, uh, Oh, the guy who said this, anything that he does probably just as wi- as wise. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think those, those, it's, it's more difficult now and it's still, we're talking about less than a decade ago. It's still kind of raw, you know, Um, it's easier when you look back at like, uh, I I have less of a hard time saying nice things about how like, Oh, John Wayne's great in that movie. 
And sure. I know that people, I think, I don't think people think that means that I'm saying, and I agree with when he said he was a white supremacist. I think, I think people know yeah. that, or like, um, I love when Miles someone, Davis. I think Miles Davis is one of the, is a, a genius, one of the greatest musical geniuses of all time. Doesn't mean that I endorse the way that he was like abusive to his like band and, 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 right. and stuff like that. I think once somebody has passed and you get some decades on it, it's like, okay, now we know their whole legacy. But if it's somebody like Woody Allen and Louis C.K., their legacy is still kind of being decided and if you focus arguably too much on the positive then there's that concern of like am i currently working to make their make their legacy more one-sided than the other whereas i feel like someone like like a john wayne or whatever we can look back and see the whole thing because it's done um you know it's it's kind of i mean i'm not using this as a as a transition but this is sort of why we pivoted when we started doing our profile episodes to people that had passed away because you never like you could talk about a a, an actor a writer a director and even if they're later uh, you know later in 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 years they could have this late surge in which they do these amazing things. They're like, well, shoot, I already, uh, yeah. where do you, uh, you know, close the door on them. Today we're going to be talking about someone who's active for uh, over like half a century. And yeah. I think we'll be talking a lot about the last like yeah. 20 years or so. Cause he absolutely uh, anyway, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. First, I want to tell you about tweaked audio.com tweaked audio is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, Tyler, I'm always a little like uh, in, in this little part of the ad read where I drop in a recommendation or something I've been listening mm-hmm. to. I'm always a little bit wary about uh, mentioning hip hop because like I try to keep up, but I don't really know it that well. Sure. Um uh, case in point, um, Nicki Minaj re-released her 2009 mixtape, Beam Me Up Scotty, with some new remixes. And I, w- I realized, like, oh, I didn't know Nicki Minaj until after she was already had hits. I did, Like, this stuff from 2009, I'd never heard any of it. So it's, it's all new <laughs> to, to me. Um, and I... Uh, uh, I, I really like that. Uh, it, sounded, it sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. So, uh, uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at, at checkout, you get no, well, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. Please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler, I was trying to get that all out before the right. fire truck started <laughs> yeah. blaring. I mean, I don't know if uh, it was drowned out or not. But um, Tyler, yes, the na- the number of this episode is episode seven hundred and forty. This is the seven hundred and fortieth consecutive week of Battleship Pretension exists existing. Um, I got to start remembering to bring a book uh, whenever we do profile episodes and just crack open. Maybe I can get a whole chapter read by the time you're done with the math. So uh, the way this works and the way we've been doing this for for a while is that any time the number of the episode ends in a zero, and yet that episode is not evenly divisible by the number 50. If you divide it by 50, 
you, you know, if you divide the episode number by 50 and you don't get any decimal point decimal points or fractions that's a different thing we do that different thing on those but when it's it's ends in a zero but it's not evenly divisible by 50 that means we're doing a profile as you said it means uh in the past few years it means we're doing a profile of someone who is somewhat recently uh passed and so uh let's get into it shall we let's Indeed. talk about the career of the late great christopher Plummer. Indeed. I watched uh, I watched two today, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, I, 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 had to do some, I had to do some cramming because like TCM, TCM Fest came in the middle and I realized like, oh, right. shit, I'm three movies behind. So I've watched like three movies in the last two days with Christopher Plummer in, in them. Only one of I, them was good. I unfortunately, yeah, he's, I mean, uh, he, he was a working actor uh, who was in a lot of stuff. Some of it, I mean, it's so interesting that like, his first Oscar nomination was in 2009 and then two years later he won. And then a few years later he was nominated again. Just like, well, again, think, this late uh, career surge. Not to be, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, pedantic. Sure. But I think his first Oscar nomination was in 2010 for a 2009 film. Yeah. That's I, what I meant. Oh, yeah. Okay. When I say it, it's one of the things I, that's my least favorite thing when I talk about the Oscars, when I say in, I mean, it's the movie came out in this year. And so the performance is that year. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's this idea. It's, I mean, he was always a respectable actor, but he was also willing to be in some not, some not great stuff. And then two years later could be in a masterpiece. Like it's yeah. just, he was that kind of, that kind of actor. But let's uh, start. Uh, my earliest is 1964. He, I mean, his earliest credit on IMDb is is an t- episode of a TV show called Encounter in 1953. Uh, but he also did an episode of Studio One, an episode of Suspense, which is a show I've actually heard of at least, uh, all in 1953. Broadway television theater did a lot of uh, a lot of TV at first. His first, uh, again, according to IMDb, his first um, film credit is 1958's Stage Struck which is a Sidney Lumet film, which I've never seen. No, right. um, but for me, uh, I don't know if this is the, what my first one is 1964. And my, my first is 65 and it's the, okay. it's the, the obvious one, but yeah. Okay. So I will start with um, uh, Anthony Mann's the fall of the Roman empire, which uh, people who listen to the TCM fest, um, uh, wrap up last week. I actually accidentally kind of uh, let slip that I didn't like this movie because we were talking about Anthony Mann because I'd watched a different Anthony Mann film um, at TCM Fest. So uh, the fall of the Roman Empire in 1964 is um, well, it, it's uh, something we'll see a lot in his uh, two things we'll see a lot in, in Christopher Rumbers career. Excuse me. Playing a real life historical figure mm-hmm. and playing a villain. Something he sure. did a lot. Oh, so yeah. um, in the fall of the Roman Empire, he play he play, he plays Emperor Commodus, uh, mm-hmm. who was the uh, son and successor of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, yeah. Marcus Aurelius uh, is played by Alec Guinness, um, and uh, he uh, at least people are probably familiar with the character as a function of gladiator, is played by Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, that's the same guy. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize. Um, uh, interesting i wish i'd realized because i haven't seen gladiator since it was like a new like i probably saw it on vhs when it was a new release that's how long ago i saw gladiator um i didn't realize it was the same character uh so yeah he um he's marcus Aurelius' son marcus Aurelius doesn't want his son to succeed him because he knows he's like a uh kind of a 
hothead and maybe a little yeah. bit of a sadist. Um, and uh, so he's planning to to name um, someone else's successor before he dies. Some of Commodus's cohorts, um, uh, including one played by Anthony Quayle, if you know that, that actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, they get wind of this, and without telling Commodus, they decide to poison and assassinate Marcus Aurelius before he can say that. So Commodus ends up ascending to the throne, not realizing that he wasn't his mm. father's choice. And so the story follows uh, the uh, Stephen Boyd is the boring lead, um, General <laughs> Livius, um, and Sophia Loren, who's often good, is the boring love interest, is uh, Aurelius's da- daughter and Commodus's sister. Um, but uh yeah you basically just got um uh young christopher Plummer as Commodus being this sort of like uh uh in indulgent impulsive like boy king you know doing yeah. whatever he wants throwing lavish parties uh drinking and womanizing and and then um challenging livius to a fight to the death in the gladiator pit at the end of the movie um which i guess is kind of similar to what happens in uh there's a okay <laughs> i now i now realize because i i re rewatched gladiator somewhat recently i still don't love it very much uh as opposed to and some we'll probably talk about in a couple weeks actually um yeah, yeah. hang on there's a car alarm going off it's we're gonna have to just power through i think Ugh. Who knows how long it's going to go? That's true. Yes, but yeah, um, it's very. I can hear it. It's very low. And there it oh, goes. It's done. It's done already. But uh, it could go again. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Gladiator. Yeah, it's uh, having not seen Fall of the Roman Empire. I now realize. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's what this is. What Commodus was kind of known for. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't think Gladiator was ripping off this movie. I think they're they're both taking inspiration yeah. from history. Uh, yeah not a great movie in fact it's a bad movie it's over two and a half hours long the sadly the road show, the three-hour roadshow version is apparently mostly lost um mm. i mean that's sad from an archivist point of view uh I'm, <laughs> right i'm not sad that i didn't have to sit through another that extra hour th- hey that extra 30 minutes could be the the deciding factor maybe you'd uh, love it then maybe yeah but uh it's still a a fun scenery chewing performance um from Christopher Plummer and uh, worth noting that uh, James Mason plays uh, an advisor to Marcus Aurelius who then becomes Stephen Boyd's friend. Um, and this is not the first time Christopher Plummer and James Mason would work together. Correct. So we'll, get to we'll, later. we'll get to that later. Yeah. Yeah. So six. So my first one is from 65, as I mentioned, and it is uh, Robert Wise's The Sound of Music. What if it was inside Dave, Daisy Clover? which is just looking at this idea to be the other one. And I have not heard, and I hadn't heard of the sound of music. Um, yeah. Holy shit. This uh, inside David Clover, Daisy Clover, Clover. I don't know what it is, but it's Natalie Wood, Christopher Plummer, Robert Redford, uh, Ruth Gordon and Roddy McDowell. Wow. That's a good cast. Um, I love when that happens when there's like this movie with a killer cast, maybe, and I don't know who directed it, but just like, it's like, this is a film that we all should know about. And yeah. none of us know about it at all. Um, but yeah, his performance, I, I love the sound of music. I, outside of the song 16 going on 17, which I cannot stand. Um, <laughs> outside of that, I love this movie. And, and I like all of these songs. I love the characters. And I really love Christopher Plummer's character uh, and his relationship with Maria because he really does undergo an arc 
early on and it's not that he's like a bad guy early on but you really get a sense of of distance and like being emotionally closed off and extremely lonely like this is a guy who has has lost his wife and and his and he has to be a a a parent to his to a single parent to his children but he doesn't really know how to do that so it's like okay well i'll just sort of run this like like a military operation which keeps him at, at arm's length and then he learns to open up more to fall in love you know that he's able to fall in love uh, again and then you know when he's singing uh edelweiss and on top of everything else because he's a military man he probably has a fair amount of allegiance to his country and then when he sees what is happening to his country uh he might be better able to under to feel it and mourn it as a function of this relationship like it is a tremendously complex character and I think he plays all of it beautifully. Like he, you really get a sense of sadness and loneliness in him. And then you also get a sense of the righteous and a sense of the love that he's feeling towards Maria and a sense of like the righteous anger that he has towards the end combined with this sense of, of morning, uh, morning. It's a, a, a lovely performance and, yeah, and it, very, never... and every, every bit the equal of, of Julie Andrews, I think. Yeah, and it never made sense to me that he like he he wasn't a fan of the movie for so long. Yeah, um, I don't get it. Yeah, I know he's he's great in it, and it's a great movie, and it's a uh, a, a great role. Uh, maybe he brought things that weren't on the page. That maybe he thought that uh, Von Trapp was one note and brought things that weren't there. I don't know, but um, yeah. Uh, to seem to take him a long time to be okay with the fact that it was the movie he was like most known for. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I guess that's, that's how it's like Alec Guinness with star Wars. It's how, you know, you're dealing with a pro. They don't like the material, but it's like they're, it's not merely their most iconic performance. It's also just a very good committed performance because as yeah. we would see later on, he'll be in anything. Uh, and he'll do his best <laughs> in those things. Yeah. Um, so I don't have anything yeah, until the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, I also, I wanted to mention, um, that, uh, um, Von Trapp is like, as a character is, uh, a romantic lead and he's a good father, but he's also just like a totally bitchy wit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like when he's, uh, uh, when the guy says you, you flatter me and he's like, Oh, that's my mistake. I meant to insult you. Um, one of my, that's one of my favorite lines. Uh, all right. Yeah. So next up for me, I've got two in 1975. Uh, so I'll go okay. according to IMDb listing, which is based on release date. And I'll talk about, is that, is 1975 yours as well? I'm guessing. I didn't write down what year it is. <laughs> okay. I just I, I made the, a list of titles, but I don't have the IMDb uh, listing in front of me, oh, so I don't okay. act. But I so I didn't say what year it is. Um, is that how you usually do this? No, uh, I don't know yeah. why I did it this time. Yeah, that's good. That might cause problems in the future. So um, I'll uh, pull up the IMDb page. Hang on. Well, I'll talk about Blake Edwards, The Return of the Pink Panther from 1975, okay. which is the fourth Pink Panther movie. Um, I've seen all the Pink Panther movies when I was a kid. Wait, uh, have you really seen all of the Pink? Like, no, well, there are yeah. so many. Yes. Not even counting the two Steve Martin remakes. There are, right. I think, nine in the original series. There's a Roberto Benigni one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I've not seen all of them. Thank you. Yes, uh, I've seen many of them. And I did see that one uh, as a kid, but I had no understanding of who Christopher Plummer was. And I have no memory of him in the film. 
Um, well, he's playing. So like uh, the it's a it's a whole franchise, but like <laughs> Blake Edwards directed all but one. There's one where um, uh uh, Peter Sellers doesn't play Clouseau. That's the one that's called Inspector Clouseau. It's got Alan Arkin in it. Right, um, right. Um, and and um, uh, and then there's David Niven played the character the Phantom in multiple installments of in the nine uh, uh, movies. But um, Return of the Pink Panther is the one where Christopher Plummer played the David David Niven role. Um, oh, okay, yes. Because the this is the it's called the Return of the Pink Panther because when we think of the Pink Panther we think of the, either the animated cat or we think of Clouseau yeah. but the Pink Panther is the diamond yes right and so the first one is called the Pink Panther Clouseau is not even really the main character the second one is a shot in the dark then there's Inspector Clouseau and then the Return of the Pink Panther is both Peter Sellers returning after Alan Arkin played him and it's actually the Return of the Diamond the Pink Panther is, yeah. is the um, Anyway, Shot in the Dark, um, by the way, is the best of the bunch. Yeah, and it's, it's so good. And it, partially, I think, because it's based on a very successful play that Cluzo is not in. But they oh, thought, okay. uh, as would often happen with the character of John McClane, uh, they just had this existing thing and thought, right. oh, this would make for an interesting let's let's add him in. But it's a it, it, Shot in the Dark, which is not the one we're talking about, but it's a great movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, Return of the Pink Panther is um it's still a Blake Edwards movie. So it has sequences that are really, really good. There's the, um, it opens, well, there's like a little opening sort of like, uh, reintroducing you to the pink Panther diamond, but the actual big, like opening sequence is this like, almost like Rafifi esque, like long heist sequence. That's completely wordless. Um, that's, that's very, very cool. Um, it's got other, you know, uh, um, uh, things with uh, Peter Sellers mucking about. Uh, it's not that juicy a role for Christopher Plummer. He like yeah. spoilers for the movie. He doesn't even the Phantom doesn't even turn out to have been the the thief in in the movie. Um, he's like hung up his spurs and his wife has unbeknownst to him um, uh, set out to steal the Pink Panther that he lost in the first movie. And so at the end of the movie, he sort of has to cover for his wife. But he's not really in it that much. Um, it also. You mentioned, okay, A Shot in the Dark is the first one with Kato. Oh, you yeah. Know? And other than, like, just the baseline, like, there's a, the character of Kato, there's a racism to, sure. to that's a racist character to that. It's shocking how much A Shot in the Dark isn't overtly racist, other than that doesn't continue in The Return of the Pink Panther. There are multiple times where Clouseau uh, re- refers to Kato like as yellow or yellow yes. skin. Like it's uh, really, really gross. So Return of the Pink Panther, we've already spent too much time on it. I'm not going to, yeah. uh, it's, it's not worth, it's not really worth watching. Um, uh, but it's also, it's weird that uh, David Niven then, I can't remember which one, because Return of the Pink Panther is the last one of the series. I haven't seen the other five. Uh, but David Niven eventually comes back as the fan. Hmm. Um, weird. Um, he thought he was better than the part, only to discover, no, this is this is me. <laughs> Maybe he hated what Christopher Plummer did with it and felt he had to sure. rescue it. Um, yeah. uh, because this is, uh, you know, we're still in an age here in the, you know, I talked, I, I should have mentioned this with fall of the Roman empire. It's definitely the case, uh, in 
Return of the Pink Panther, before he became, you know, a lion of the cinema and an elder statesman, he was a hunk. And like both, yeah. both Fall of the Roman Empire and Return of the Pink Panther have plenty of scenes of Christopher Plummer without his shirt on. That's nice. clearly like a big uh, uh, selling point. Uh, a movie in which he keeps his shirt on the entire time because he's not actually in it all that much is 1975's The Man Who Would Be King. A film I still have never seen. Um, I'm uh, told I would like it, and I think I probably would. Yeah, and this one I also won't say much because this weird was this one Kyle talked about it last week because it actually was at TCM Fest this year mm. on the app or whatever. So Kyle talked about The Man Who Would Be King, so I won't say too much more about the movie itself because it's mostly, like I said last week, it's a... Um, adventure buddy comedy with Michael Caine and, uh, and Sean Connery that, um, is also, I mean, unfortunately also there's a lot of racist stuff in it. Um, stands to reason, uh, um, given both that it was made in the seventies and also that it's based on a Rudyard Kipling book. And I'm, I'm just placing re- repeating stuff that Kyle said last okay. week. So I'll just talk about, uh, Christopher Plummer is, um, basically just shows up in the framing device, as Rudyard Kipling, which is apparently, uh, oh. I didn't realize this until, until Kyle mentioned it last week. That's an invention of the screenplay in the, in the story that the man who would be King is based on. There is like a, a narrator who like, is like a guy who works at the newspaper who heard this story, but he's not given a name. And hmm. I guess John Houston decided, let's just actually make him Rudyard, <laughs> Rudyard Kipling. So he plays uh Rudyard Kipling, who is basically just like a guy who befriends, these two uh, guys who set off into deepest Afghanistan to become uh, kings uh, because they'll be the first white people these people have seen in hundreds of years. Um, and then um, at the beginning of the movie, Michael Caine uh, comes back and tells him the story and then we don't see him again until the end. So um, not really worth talking much about in this episode because there's not okay. much Christopher Plummer to the movie, but it is a good movie. Okay. It's a lot of fun. So are we, uh, okay, I'm guessing then, since we're jumping all the way to 1779. Yeah, for me, are we yes. Now, are we now talking about Murder by Decree? Yes. Yeah, this movie's awesome. It's really good, and a great and, cast. Yeah, it, so this is the, the uh, reunion with James Mason. This is also a Bob Clark movie. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I didn't know about this movie. It's, uh, 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 again, I was going to say, again, he's not playing an historical figure, he's, but he's playing a famous fictional character. He plays yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Um, but it's not a fun Sherlock Holmes story because it is based on the same conspiracy theory about Jack the Ripper that from hell is based on. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, like a, a, a heavy uh, movie, but um, it's directed by Bob Clark, um, who uh, obviously I guess is probably best known for a Christmas story, but also made black Christmas a movie that yeah. I bring up every chance that I get because I love it so much. Um so, uh, yeah, I just watched it a, a week or two ago, um, but I've talked too much lately. Yeah, I, I saw it uh, a while back um, because I was I was uh, on a bit of a Sherlock Holmes kick a while ago. Um, and and he's a character that's been played uh, a lot of different ways by a lot of different actors. And so it's always fun to see uh, what an actor like Christopher Plummer could bring to the part. Uh, same with, with uh, James Mason playing uh, Watson. And I feel like they have a tremendous chemistry. It's hard to, with this movie, I find it hard to talk about one without talking about the other. And I yeah. guess maybe that's kind of how it is for, for most uh, Sherlock Holmes films. Most uh, ones, yeah. And, and yeah, this, it has a real, 
it, it doesn't have the, you know, uh, the sense, as you mentioned, like it doesn't have that sense of fun, that sense of, ah, let's get to the bottom of this mystery. It's like, Hey, people are being killed and, uh, yeah. horribly mutilated. And, uh, there, this, there and might be more to this than yeah, the uh, government is not only turning a blind yeah. eye, but might actually be, uh, yeah. endorsing or causing it. And so I, I do feel like, um, this cause conspiracy theory has been debunked by the way, the, yeah the, the one that both these things are, uh, based on, um, yeah. but it's but worth mentioning the conspiracy theory itself is fun, not in the official, uh, definition of the word, but it's this idea. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's, this thing that we all know about Jack the Ripper, what if it went to the very highest levels? Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I remember thinking this, this actually brings me to one of the first things that uh, one of the things I, I think of first when I, when I think of Christopher Plummer, I don't think he can play a dumb person. Uh, like he's a very versatile actor, but I think the one thing he can't play is stupid. Um, and maybe that's not true. Uh, certainly he's been in movies that are dumb, but, uh, but I think he exudes intelligence and he often seems to be operating on a higher level than other characters. Uh, and even if that character, he's a villain who gets outsmarted or whatever it is, you just get the sense that like, this guy knows what I'm going to do before I do it. And so the idea of him playing Sherlock Holmes, who just, again, operates on a higher level than other character, uh, other, the other characters in the, in the film, um, it almost seems uh, inevitable. And I remember just really liking the way he delivered lines. I loved what he did with his eyes. That was something, when I watched it, something I noticed is that, I mean, I, Sherlock Holmes is known for just observing things that other people don't see. And I think Christopher Plummer locked into that. And so like whenever he walks into a room, you just kind of see he, he just sort of scans everything. And it's, it, you know, he, it may be while he's saying something or while somebody else is saying something, but it's, it's something, it's clearly a choice that Christopher Plummer made. And I think it fits with the character. And I, I really, I like the movie and again, great cast because You've got these two uh, Titans. Then you have David Hemmings, Anthony Quayle, who we mentioned before, John Gielgud, Don, uh, Don Sutherland, uh, Genevieve Bujold. Um, it's a it's a really, really good cast and a really good movie. I highly recommend it. I think when something is a, is a, is a Sherlock Holmes movie, I think a lot of people view it as disposable because just because like, oh yeah, Sherlock Holmes, how how in-depth is it going to be? It's just another Sherlock Holmes adventure. And I can understand why someone would think that, but this is different. This mm. feels like a, it feels like a real movie. I hate to put it that way, but like, it doesn't feel like just the latest, like it doesn't feel like people saying, Hey, let's give this a shot. It really feels like thought was put into it visually and narratively. And, and I, yeah, I really like it. Uh, yeah. And it also, I mean, I guess um, within the history of Sherlock Holmes, it, it sort of changes the, timeline because um i don't think sherlock holmes is the character I, like arthur conan doyle wasn't writing sherlock holmes till after the jack the ripper murders i think but within the within this movie sherlock holmes is already a famous detective in london mm. uh but anyway that's not the the point the point is uh next up for me is 1984 if, uh i'm not uh let's see what is it for me Damn it. Now I can't find it. Why was this guy in so many things? He was in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, oh, next for me isn't until 87. So you go right ahead. Okay. So 84, uh, I won't spend much time on this, but uh, um, Dreamscape, uh, Joseph Rubin film that is uh, 
at by this point 20 you know 19 years after sound of music he's clearly is just doing he's 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 not being picky uh dreamscape is a movie that is most notable for being like um a proto inception because then hmm. it, it doesn't have the in inception there's like technology or whatever but in this one dennis quaid plays a psychic who was able to project himself into other people's dreams and christopher Plummer plays uh a, an evil advisor to the president who tries to hire uh dennis quaid to essentially plant an idea in the president's head so christopher Plummer is playing like frank langella and dave but in inception <laughs> <laughs> i like using other movies to describe movies yeah um, um but you've also got max von Sydow as yeah. uh um uh do they have any scenes together i don't think i max von Sydow's scenes are with dennis quaid i can't it's been years because i reviewed this i think shout put out a put out a, a new blu-ray this years ago and i reviewed it for that i don't think they have scenes together because okay von Sydow is the doctor that he works with maybe i'm wrong uh, but you've also got uh, David Patrick Kelly as the um, the guy who has the same ability as Dennis Quaid, but is evil. Oh, and so they like I fight, can see that they fight in people's dreams, which is a cool idea. But it's a corny movie. Uh, the reason that I ask if they had any scenes together, and maybe they have acted together in other things, but I remember um, when Christopher Plummer won his Oscar, uh, one of the other nominees was Max von Sydow, and so he, in his speech, he just like refers to him as Max uh like and so it's like okay they i i mean i imagine maybe they don't have any maybe they didn't work actively together but maybe they just knew each other because they were both old and had been around and maybe who knows maybe they did theater but uh but yeah so i was i i'm always curious at, at stuff like that but uh that's unfortunate you know i've never se- i've never seen dreamscape but i remember as a kid seeing that uh that cover on the vhs uh, and thinking that looks really good. Uh, yet another like fantasy film from the eighties with a beautifully hand-drawn cover. Um, yeah. Which the shop they, Blu-ray uh, preserves if you want, or they, they always do the thing that would shout where they have like a new cover or you can like flip it around. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and show the uh, 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 old, old cover. Um, okay. So um Next, you said eighty-seven, but there's eighty-six. He's a voice in an American Tale, which is a, there's a handful of voice voice work that he'll, yes. that he'll be doing. And he also uh, was the going back here. Um, he did voice the uh, voice of the narrator in the David the Gnome TV show. Uh, and so I did want to mention his his work as a narrator and as an occasional voice actor um, for something that is not listed here. Uh, a, a couple years ago. I listened to an audio book of Alice in Wonderland uh, and he, and he was the one reading it, and he like did different voices for each character. And it was so, and first off it was, it was one of those things where I was like, is, is Christopher Plummer doing all these voices? Because there's, there's a handful of characters uh, where it's like, this doesn't sound like him. And, but then once you, when you know it's him, it's like, okay, I can, I can see, I can picture how he got, how he got there, but he is able to change his voice so effectively that, uh, that it was really something. And he's just throwing himself fully into it. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if people are, are into, you know, who's into audiobooks. Um, and maybe you've already read Alice in Wonderland, but it really is a fun performance. Um, and, and I really, he really gets into the, into the spirit of, of the book. Uh, in American Tale, he's Hon- Henri 
I'm guessing the pigeon has been so long. I watched it a lot as a kid. I don't really remember uh, the different yeah. voices. I didn't remember uh, there was a pigeon. Um, yeah. Uh, so 1987 is Dragnet. Yes. Where he plays, if I remember correctly, he's like, he's like a celebrity preacher, like a TV preacher who's, yes. but secretly a Satanist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and... the mind of Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I, wa- I feel like I watched, I feel like we both wa- uh, watched Dragnet somewhat recently. Yeah, like again, in the last this five is another years. one where I reviewed the Blu-ray, but it's not right. a very good movie. It is not a very good movie, but I do love him in it because there is a performative quality to the character because there's who he is and who he is publicly. Right. And when he, and like his public persona is making like really terrible jokes. Uh, like I forget what the joke is, but he makes a joke about like going to the bathroom. Uh, and I don't remember what it was, but it's the kind of thing where other characters like, <laughs> just like, it's just this polite laughter. And, uh, and he's just like, again, he, he, he exudes intelligence and I like that he just plays into just the smarminess of the character, um, and the inherent hypocrisy of the character. Uh, yeah, it's not a good movie, but it has, it has moments. Yeah. Well, I don't think we've used the word ham yet to describe Christopher Plummer. Sure. But, uh, he could we'll definitely ham it up. Oh yeah. Um, uh, all right. Uh, another animated, uh, performance, 1991's Rockadoodle, which is a very bad movie. You watched that. That's right. I've not seen that one. Oh, okay. Well, he, this is him being the, the villain again. He's the grand Duke of owls and his whole thing is because the, the lead of the character voiced by Glenn Campbell, mm. the lead of the movie, um, uh, is a rooster who crows every morning to bring up the sun mm-hmm. and the owls, they're nocturnal. So they don't like the sun. So their idea is to stop, uh, Glenn Campbell from crowing to bring up the sun. This is not a good plan. Here's why. (laughs) Even if, even if Rockadoodle has the ability, his name is not Rockadoodle. His name is Chanticleer. I am calling him Rockadoodle, even though, even if he has the ability to do that, Al's got to sleep too. You know what I mean? Like just cause they're nocturnal. It's like, yeah, you, first off, they're not vampires. They can still be out and about during the day. And also, again, it, there's no shortage of night. If I, as I, if I recall correctly from this movie, they are hurt by sunlight. So there's a bit of a vampire. Oh, there is a vampire. The, okay, got in it. The, in this world. You'd think anyway. they'd be bats, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe bats. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all right. But also in 1991, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Which, which is I watched prob- uh, just through the night. Which is probably my, I mean, I had seen American Tale, I had seen Dragnet when I was young, but I think I was old enough for this character to register and me and to understand that an actor is making choices. Um, Speaking of ham, this is a hammy performance. He plays this Klingon named Chang with an eye patch bolted to his skull. Yeah, very cool. I I love this performance. Um, it's over the top as it should be. Um, the way the character like quotes Shakespeare and, and sometimes like yells it as he's like spinning in his chair. Like it's, it is just the most over the top thing. Um, but yeah, I, I was raised watching these star Trek movies and I remember mm. this one maybe being my favorite, maybe because the age, uh, during in which I watched it, uh, but I'm curious what, uh, cause we talked about the star Trek movies in general. 
Uh, and I was curious to know what you would think of this movie, but obviously Christopher Plummer's performance, but the film itself, like, what do you think of Star Trek six? It is considered one of the better ones. Yeah. And I was, it was after watching them in a row and having three in a row that were directed by members of the cast, you know, two by Leonard Nimoy and one by, one by William Shatner that I like, I only search for Spock is the only one that I think is really terrible. Voyage home. Like uh, the voyage home is fun. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of people know that it's the, it's the, it's the, the it, they like real it, like it took them four movies to realize that it's okay to have like jokes yeah <laughs> you know the first three movies um uh varying degrees of quality but they're not really funny um so like uh yeah voyage home is kind of fun I, um um uh what, what is what is five don't tell me final um, frontier oh sorry final frontier i said don't tell me but yeah you got it. um I, I was watching and thinking like, oh, this is better than its reputation. It is, it is kind of fun. Although it kind of like, um, it slows down a lot in the last act, uh, unfortunately. But, um, but after watching through no direct by the cast, then watching him discover country was like, oh, right. Cinema. Like, oh, right. Yeah. The adults are back <laughs> in the room. This is like this, these movies for the first time in three movies, it's not just like, shots of people talking it's not like film right. one, like film school 101 like <laughs> establishing shot over the shoulders like there's actually like long sequences to play out without dialogue because nicholas meyer who had also made star trek 2 the wrath of khan which is the mm-hmm. like the general consensus pick for best star trek movie um he he knows what to do he knows how to make a movie <laughs> he's confident in just like you know introducing and like when when um uh kirk and bones get sent to the like prison ice like underground yeah. ice pl- prison planet you know the introduction to the planet is like it's them walking through it but they're not like you don't have someone talking like blah blah, blah. this is what's gonna happen this is what's gonna happen like you get a little bit at the beginning once they descend there's a long sequence of us just like getting to know the place visually yeah um which which the other the last three movies don't have the directorial confidence to 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 pull off but none of that is a well, none of what i'm saying is about uh commander chang is it commander chang or general chang um, uh, i think general okay and on imdb is um, literally just listed as chang okay um well that's gonna bug me if i don't uh figure that out but oh well um i think he's a general that's, yeah, it, that it's, sounds it's right a, to me. it's a um yeah it's a it's another big scenery chewing uh hammy performance well and one thing that uh i remember i had friends uh when i was younger who were uh big trek people and mm-hmm. they this is like before the internet and and you can look stuff up they just happened to know trivia i don't know where they found it out but one thing is that uh william shatner and christopher Plummer were like buddies because they're both canadian and i think they i think they went to like some of the same there's some part of some of the same acting classes when they were younger. Right. And I think William Shatner is the one that recommended Plummer for Chang and the two of them, like when they, when those two characters have scenes together and there aren't, there aren't many, but yeah, when they have scenes on, together, yeah. uh, they're great. Like there's a really clear, like hero and villain back and forth chemistry. Uh, and, and I really, I really like that. I, it's something that I think, I, that I, I think about more and more is that um, that some of my usually my favorite actors are are ones that are able to be giving enough as actors to have chemistry with others because mm. I think there are, there are actors that will just 
put so much on themselves that it's like they're in a, like they're doing their own scene. And I guess someone else is there. This is, it's one of the things that frustrates me about Sean Penn in certain movies. Uh, and I feel like it's not to suggest that they're, that they're selfish. It's, it's just that they just don't seem aware that someone else is there because they're so focused on what their performance needs to be. And I feel like Christopher Plummer, uh, when I think of some of my favorite scenes of his, I think of him actively re- responding and con- and connecting with the other actor. Um, and I think in, in this scene, especially, you know, when you, I guess when you play villains, you have to really understand what role the villain is playing in the larger story and how they are connecting to the, the other, uh, to the hero character. And so we've, are, we've talked more about this movie than I, than I expected to, but it is a, it is a good movie with, uh, an unexpected cameo by Christian Slater, who is a big Star Trek fan. Uh, did yeah, you catch? Right. Did you catch it? Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's not. He, they at at first it's like oh that's his voice. Then the, there's a shot like he like leans into the light into yeah. Sulu's like quarters and like they really wanted you to know like look we got Christian Slater for this one scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that must have been a dream come true for Christian Slater as a sure. director to have a not only get to wear the uniform, but to have a one on one scene with Sulu. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, all right. So, what's well, okay. We went, talked a lot about that because unfortunately, I don't have much to say about the character of Chaplin Gill in 1992's Malcolm X because it's I, been over 20 years since I've watched this movie. I need to see it again because I do love, I remember loving that movie. Uh, and it just has such a big cast and obviously like when i think of it i think of denzel washington understandably so um but yeah i would like to look i would like to watch it again so that i could appreciate first off like what uh spike lee is doing but also what the rest of the cast is doing and not the not the last time that he would work with spike lee um yeah yeah, I, I'm from guessing from the character chaplain gill i'm guessing he was the prison chaplain Mm. from the early like prison section of sure of the movie i don't know um so jumping for me to 1995 oh i've got a 94 oh okay and that is mike nichols wolf oh i never saw that a movie that is it's fascinating um it's really good and it's very smartly written i wouldn't say that it's scary it's it's much more of a satire um there are scenes that are meant to be scary but it's it's definitely more of like a satire of uh, of like corporate culture. Um, and, and it features Jack Nicholson and, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and James Spader. Uh, and then it does have, uh, in, in a, the role of like the, the head of this company, uh, you have Christopher Plummer and, you know, you, he, he has scenes with Nicholson and Nicholson is just such a star. Like we just instinctively know, who he is and we, our eyes are glued to him. Uh, and so I remember something a, a long time ago, it might've been something that uh, Roger Ebert had written when he wrote about affliction, where he said, Nick Nolte is a very imposing actor. So it, you require an actor who could be equally imposing to make Nick Nolte cower. And so they got James Coburn and you do actually see that dynamic. And so the idea of, of um, Christopher Plummer playing again, I, I believe, I don't remember how many levels he is above these other characters, but, uh, but that he can make other characters, not even so much cower in fear, but, uh, but can make them 
just like immediately show respect. You see their demeanor change when he's around. And, uh, and it's really, it's, it's a really good performance in a movie that I think it deserves to be seen. Um, because if for no other reason, because it's just such an oddity, um, but it is worth seeing with some good, good performances too. Um, all right. Uh, Taylor Hackford's Dolores Claiborne from 1995 is unfortunately a bad movie. Um, I actually never saw it. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're not missing out. It's, it's, I don't know how you go wrong. You've got Kathy Bates, Jennifer Jason Lee, Christopher Plummer, and David Strathairn, plus John C. Riley and Eric Bogosian in smaller roles. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how you go wrong. It's based yeah. on a Stephen King uh, novel, but it's just, I guess, um, it, it's so full of speechifying and like dialogue that is clearly meant to be like clever, but is dumb. Um, but uh, Christopher Plummer plays a. Uh, uh, detective uh, who's got a uh, basically Kathy Bates character is one is, is the suspect in a murder and 15 years or so before she was a suspect in a different murder and Christopher Plummer couldn't pin it on her then. And so mm. now he's gunning for her on this new murder because she's the one who got away or whatever, but uh, it's a corny movie and, and there, there's a big uh, uh, speechy like showdown between him and Jennifer Jason Lee at the end. that is very, very, uh, eye rolling unfortunately uh but also 1995 is terry terry gilliam's 12 monkeys which um yeah. i haven't seen in a long time but i watched it a number of times when i was younger and it's it's he plays brad pitt's father right uh i i have not seen it in, in probably about 20 years okay um so i think but there's the one part when he because bruce willis meets brad pitt in the mental institution then he goes like back to the future uh, oh. and then when he comes back Brad Pitt is out of the movie theater and like or maybe movie theater uh, mental institution and living back with his father. And so Bruce Willis goes to see him and there's like a big fancy party at his father's house. And Christian Plummer is the, the, you know, imposing oh. centurion father. Yeah, yes. Okay. Rich, rich guy father. I could see that kind of that yeah. patrician type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So um Next up for me then is, is the insider, which I'm assuming you would have something to say about. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, I, I will say real quick, I did watch the, uh, the TV movie Winchell starring Stanley, uh, Stanley Tucci, pardon me. And, um, Wait, when did you watch this? Oh, many years ago when oh, it was okay. like, uh, on video, uh, I new at the time. Infuriatingly, it's not on HBO max. It's an HBO. Like, why would you not put it on? Like, I wanted to watch it for, for this it won uh, it won episode. several emmys as well uh, I, I don't understand why it wouldn't be on hbo max you've got that is very um, strange jenna tucci is walter walter winchell and, and christopher Fulmer as as fdr yeah yeah and paul giamatti's in it glenn headley's in it uh huh that's that's weird like i, I mean hbo hbo is so i mean you can watch arliss on hbo max <laughs> yeah you're telling me they don't have room for winchell yeah. uh so, uh, but yes, I will, I will jump to the insider, one of my favorite movies of all time. And certainly in the running for my favorite Christopher Plummer performance, um, he plays Mike Wallace and, you know, he's playing a real guy who everyone knows and everyone has, everyone knows how he looks, how he talks, uh, his cadence, his voice, all of that. And so Christopher Plummer has to, has to do that. He has to evoke that. And I always prefer, I always like this choice when an actor decides not to go full on impression, but instead just kind of evoke. And 
I've gone back and watched, uh, like Mike Wallace's, uh, interviews with these, with these people, uh, in, in the people that we see in the insider and, and when you compare it with what Christopher Plummer is doing, it's like, it's absolutely, yes, that is Mike Wallace, but it's not because he's changing his voice too much or anything like that. It really is just this effortless impression that kind of almost gets to the essence of him. And you also see once again, that there's a performative quality because Mike Wallace has to be, when he's on camera, he has to appear a, a very specific type of uh, casually professional uh, but then when he is, uh, when he's off camera, he's, he's the same guy, but he can be, he doesn't have to be on. And so, uh, so I really like that, but I also love, first off, the way the character is written. And I like that they, they really allow the character to have moments where he is introspective, where he's defensive, when he's doing the wrong thing. And that uh, Christopher Plummer in his performance never judges the character, only ever sympathizes, even when he is doing the wrong thing. Uh, it is, uh, you know, I mean, obviously 99 was a good year. Um, and the insider was in, was in the running for various uh, awards, uh, most notably Russell Crowe for lead actor. And I really felt like they, they could have pushed Christopher Plummer for supporting actor. And I feel like he could, he probably could have gotten some genuine recognition because it is a, wonderful supporting performance uh yeah i won't say anything else because we're we've got we don't have much time and also it's right. been a long time i need to watch this movie again it's been a long time since i've seen it it's great um i'm also not going to spend too much time on dracula 2000 but i just want to mention <laughs> that he was in dracula 2000 <laughs> he sure was it's not a small role he's like in it a lot he plays i think he plays he plays van helsing in flashback like the van helsing in flashbacks and in the modern day he plays the like descendant of van helsing who has come to new orleans to uh kill the original vampire who we learn is judas iscariot that's the that's the backstory of dracula 2000 is that uh judas is the like uh patient zero of vampirism that's a neat idea um, I always like when they do stuff like that. Um, I will say that, uh, in 2000, I watched the TV movie American tragedy, which was, uh, about the OJ Simpson, uh, trial and he plays, uh, Ethley Bailey. And it's a, it's a really great performance. Cause again, he's, he plays a guy who's an, or who's an orator and very intelligent, but also, uh, fairly corrupt. Ethley Bailey was brought up on a lot of charges over his career. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he's the kind of guy that you're like, Oh yes, I want this guy to defend me because he he will spin the witness in a circle until they don't even know what they're saying. So in American um, Tragedy, you've got him again playing a real life person, mm -hmm. and in Dracula 2000, you've got him like with Murder by Decree playing a famous fictional character. Yes, he's, uh, he's just a go-to for things like that. Okay, in sorry, in the 2000 video game Star Trek Klingon Academy, the character is General Chang. General so Chang. Right. Okay, there we go. Um, and I didn't, I didn't see that there was a, uh, a TV movie in 2001 of on golden pond in which he plays, uh, Norman with Julie Andrews as Ethel. That's very interesting. Oh, that's cute. Um, and I bet it's, uh, oh, and it was a live TV event. It was literally uh, live. That's, that's very intriguing. Oh, like rock. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew the show, but I forgot that that was, that was one of the, one of the selling points of it. I, mean, um, I don't think it was the first, like, I think for one season, maybe rock was just like a sitcom about a garbage man, but then it yeah. became 
the show actually changed its name to rock live and like it was right. live every week yes huh anyway um 2001 we've got ron howard's a beautiful mind uh yeah. i haven't seen it in so long i don't have much to say about it i think he's a bad guy again here right or am i wrong uh you know what i'll be honest i don't remember okay he might have been a mentor character i don't quite recall so i okay. won't uh, i won't comment on it um see this is the problem with doing these episodes is that they're uh i i like when i've seen a lot of like the bigger stuff like the insider and a beautiful mind or whatever i'm like oh, i've seen that and then i seek out like the more obscure stuff and then i end up talking more about the more obscure stuff than the bigger stuff uh same with is the case with nicholas nickleby i haven't seen it in so long the, this is pro i mean this or the insider is probably my favorite performance of his okay good uh he plays the again he plays the villain and first off this production of nicholas nickleby is just wonderful just it's yeah. it's witty it's beautiful one again wonderful cast um and and as is the case i think with most dickensian villains there is such a palpable self-hatred uh in in uncle ralph uh so much so that the character's uh, uh end is a is a sad one and a tragic one um but uh but i also like that the character once again in dickensian fashion is uh, a little uh gleeful in in his uh uh, in the, the evil things that he does. Um, so much so that there are times when I chuckle at this guy that is pretty monstrous at times. Uh, his, his right-hand man is played by uh, Tom Courtenay, who's just like this beaten down <laughs> Smithers type. No, no, Smithers adores uh, Mr. Burns. This is not that. This guy just clearly gave up and is like, I guess this is what I'm doing. And there's a moment uh, where it's just this wonderful little exchange where Christopher Plummer is saying something like, it's like, ah, you're chattering like a bird is. And, and Tom Courtney says, I wish I was a bird. I'd fly away. <laughs> and then, and, then, uh, and uh, Christopher Plummer goes, I wish you were a bird too. I'd wring your neck. And just this, this back and forth. It's, it's just so delightful. And it, but it is, the, it's, it's, this character is just everything that he needs to be. He is funny. He's evil. You hate him. You love to hate him. Uh, but in the end you realize just how sad he is and and you just feel pity for him you you're not happy with him. again it's, it's such a great movie i love it so much uh i I, next I, you? I purchased the uh the blu-ray from uh, twilight time oh, cool. uh, like because it is a good looking movie and i already had it on dvd but i i thought it would probably look better on blu-ray especially twilight time um next for me is uh we're jumping ahead quite a bit i think for me um uh, probably uh, 2005, probably Syriana. And okay, the new, I, and I the didn't new know world. if you'd seen, I, I haven't seen National Treasure or Alexander or Cold Creek Manor. No, I haven't uh, seen All movies that I remember. Those. Never saw Must Love Dogs, but I did see Syriana in the theater. I don't know. Yeah. No scene in this movie is more than like 25 seconds long. So I'm not sure how much of an impression he could have made. Uh, there, I'm not a big fan of Syriana, if that's not clear. There are, there are a few scenes that I really love. Um, and it's written, written and directed by Stephen Gagan. And so it has kind of that, it's clearly that traffic, uh, uh structure. Um, but yeah, it's Christopher Plummer plays a character who's, you know, is a supporting role and he's just sort of a corrupt guy. And there, one of the more notable scenes is George Clooney, like breaking into his house 
and just threat and threatening him. And it's a really, it's a really good scene. It's much more George Clooney's scene than Christopher Plummer's. But, uh, but again, Plummer here is playing a guy who is just above a lot of people. And that scene is meant to show you that like, no, he's not a, like, if you have a, a, a hero, even if he's an anti-hero like George Clooney, if you have a hero who's is willing enough, nobody is above him. Uh, and so, uh, it's a, it's a, I like that scene, uh, but it's much more Clooney's scene. Uh, and then the new world, which unfortunately I read interviews with Christopher Plummer, where he talks about how frustrating it is working with Terry Gilliam and that he, he, it's like, Oh, he, I mean, he's in death. Um, oh, it's Terry, Terry Gilliam. Pardon me. Uh, uh he Terrence did work Malick. with, yeah, he's worked with a couple Terry's, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but with Terrence Malick and he just says like, Oh, he's in desperate need of a script. And it's one of those things where it's just like, you, you know, he's a, Christopher Plummer is a classical actor. So I totally get that. But I also just want to be like, I think it's safe to say Terrence Malick understands that and, and is willing, is not interested in telling a traditional narrative with, with a traditional script, which for somebody like a Christopher Plummer, I can absolutely understand being frustrating. Well, um, it, it makes sense that he went from that to a movie with a hell of a script Yes. Which is Spike Lee's Inside Man. Yes. Uh, And once again, playing uh, uh, a very, uh, an upper class villain. Yeah, but like, that's the thing. He's, he, I I don't know, villain is even the right word. He's a bad guy. Yeah. But for most of the movie, he's actually in kind of a pathetic position because he's like, he's helpless and he's kind of trying to not get found out. Whereas, he's not playing the, like, quote unquote for the for most of the movie you feel like oh clive owen is the villain right and you know you kind of find out more about what's really going on there uh what a fun fun movie inside man is um but yeah it's i think it's a really good uh uh performance from christopher Plummer because um the the character uh is often kind of like a uh a sad old man but that's uh, but that you hate that is a very good point. He's not a very active character because he can't be, he can pay other people to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like his scene with, with Jodie Foster. And the one um, time he tries to be an active character, when he tries to like hang around the surveillance truck to yeah. like spy on him, he, he just basically gets dismissed and it's like kind yeah. of uh, he's, he's like a little boy. It's, it's a character who has a fair amount of power who suddenly finds himself powerless. And so there is kind of that impotent, uh, like not some, not, not so much rage, but like a desperation that is that it, that he still has to try and sort of keep inside. Um, it is, it's a more complex character than you might think given who he is and, and who he turns out to be. Um, okay. So then, um, in 2009, he was a, vo- uh, a voice in up. Yeah. He's the villain in up and it's a, it's a really, really good, uh, vocal performance. Um, because he is, this is something that you'll find in, in movies is that there's a character who has a reputation for being a hero. And then you find out who they actually are. And there's this, there's a, a cowardly quality to them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, also the only a, Pixar movie that has that. Coco yeah. Coco has the same. Yeah. Thing. Uh, for Coco. <laughs> what was that? Oh yeah. Sorry. For Coco. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and I, I really like his, his performance, like just playing this character once again, who, who has, has enjoyed a, a, a position of, of privilege uh, if, if nothing else, just because of his reputation. And now suddenly that's being challenged and you can just see like just the, 
the anger and like ven- and real venom with with which he attacks our main characters. Uh, it's a it's a really good vocal performance. Uh, all right, then um, that same year, uh, he earned his first Oscar nomination for Michael Hoffman's The Last Station, which I literally just finished watching about 20 minutes uh, before we, we recorded, maybe a little more before we recorded this. Have you seen The Last Station? I haven't, nor did I see the movie next, uh, the following year. Oh, that he won for. That he won for. Um, um, okay, well, The Last Station, to go back to something you were saying about, of all things, Undiscovered Country, but the idea of just the joy of seeing great actors play off each other that's i mean the last station is uh, uh he plays leo tolstoy it's it, it's based on you know loosely based on true events of the last sort of months of leo tolstoy's uh life but most of this is the it's a really fun movie because it's a series of scenes of christopher Plummer playing off of helen mirren yeah or paul giamatti or james mcavoy you know um mostly helen mirren it's a great like um unlike you know we'll get to another uh movie later uh in which he's playing a famous person and uh his wife is played by a famous actress but this is not like the movie about leo tolstoy and helen mirren as the wife this is in large part a movie about their marriage Hmm. and about how at the end of his life as he was becoming more and more um like anti-materialistic and she was the one who's as a countess she's like i'm the one who has all the money here and you're just gonna like give away all of our money and our 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 uh private property and our and and stuff uh it was causing a lot of um friction between them paul giamatti Mm -hmm. plays weirdly of all things the same role he played in love and mercy where he was like a Svengali to brian mm. to brian wilson that's essentially what paul giamatti is here uh he's the one who's sort of like whispering in leo tosto's ear and 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 trying to get him to be more whatever he wants him to be and then james mcavoy is the sort of true believer who comes along and then uh is somewhat uh disillusioned by tolstoy and actually kind of befriends helen mirren um it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool uh, little movie. Uh, Helen Mirren was also nominated. It's one of those movies that like got he got two Oscar nominations, but like and then was never heard from again. No one ever yeah. talks about the last station. Yeah, but, uh, it's a especially from an if you like actors, it's a good yeah. actors movie, and 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 he's uh, front and center. I mean, it's about their their marriage, but she was nominated for lead, and he was nominated for supporting. Would you say that that's correct? Because um, they seem no, to be on, would, on yeah. Uh, having just watched today, I would say James McAvoy is the lead. Oh, okay. Um, he's the one who's our point of view character. He's our entry point into the Tolstoy like estate, and he's the one who goes through this like arc of like you know the scales falling from his eyes and and uh, uh, learning about himself and the world and this okay. man that he looked up to. Um, yeah, that's weird that she was nominated for lead because I think they're both. Uh, part of the supporting cast okay really uh all right and then 2010 is beginners which is um it, you know the last station would seem like so many of his other like hammy archetypal roles like he's, cause he's playing a great you know a great man or whatever um but it is a a, a nuanced character piece but beginners is more than it's one of the most uh charactery roles he's he's ever played again he's like with the last station, actually, he's not the lead, but he's also kind of like the impetus of the movie. He's the 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 focus, the lead's focus. Uh, um, it's Ewan McGregor plays a character whose uh, widower father uh, comes out of the closet in his seventies, um, yeah. and that's 
uh christopher Plummer, and it's um uh yeah if you um it is uh, watching so many of his movies back to back i uh uh i i do realize that beginners the one he won an oscar for is also kind of an outlier because so many of his roles are larger than life and um uh the, his character in beginners is 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 anything but he's a man who has spent his entire life sort of uh hiding and within himself you know yeah. and um there's something there's a uh a vulnerability and a sadness to his character but also a, like uh there's a joy in seeing him be uh um, be who he is for for the first time and and and, and be himself but um yeah, the whole thing happens from the point of view of Ewan McGregor's character. I I think um, Beginners is not a bad movie. I like Mike Mills' 20th Century Women better. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like it. This one feels like it has some like um, cutesy, like uh, uh, I don't know if he's a first time director, but uh, cutesy neophyte crutches in it with like the the you know he. Like Ewan McGregor talks to his dog, and his dog like responds with the subtitles. It's like yeah. cute, cutesy stuff like that. That uh, I don't. Yeah, it's not that stuff tends to rub me the wrong way, and that's not any different here. But it is a. It's a, it's still a good movie. I don't want to sound like I'm saying it's not a good movie, but it's a great, great performance. Okay. Now, um, sure, you're yeah. going to go on and on about Priest from 2011. <laughs> Which one is that? Oh, you didn't. I, I always forget. It's one of the movies that uh, our friend Doug Jones was in. But um, oh, okay, maybe you weren't. What's the other one that he was in that's terrible from this? Like, yeah, um, wait a minute. Paul Bettany's in this. Paul Bettany is also in Legion with our friend that, Doug Jones. Okay, yeah. So the, I think Doug Jones is in both of these. Or yeah, um, okay. Am I wrong? Is Doug Jones not in Priest? Am I? Uh, let me scanning the uh, the cast list. Yeah, I might be wrong. I might be confusing them. Okay. Oh, well, I haven't seen either one, so I guess I'm I mean they're both like yeah, I don't see it, but uh yeah, Paul Bettany uh, religious uh, horror is probably uh, not that yeah. great. Um did you see did you see Priest? I didn't see either one of these. Oh, okay. Sorry to hear that. I saw the girl with the dragon tattoo. As did I. Yes. Another and... an- another uh, villain uh patrician villain. Yeah, patrician is a word that I think is coming up a lot. Uh, again, I think because, you know, the more I think about it, it's like when I think about the things he, he just sort of exudes, I mean, intelligence is one of them. And I do think that like just wealth and, or, or a certain, a certain definition of class, you know, uh, I, I don't know if he's ever played, you know, uh, 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 a street urchin or anything like that. I feel like he just you see i mean it, as we as we move along he'll he'll play like the richest man in the world uh and in nice. in a lot of these and then he's played yeah he's played like a roman emperor he's played uh, a well-known celebrity he's played like all of these higher class characters and yeah and in something like a uh, girl with the dragon tattoo where it's very much about like a character a main character who's interacting with class and, and the, the seeming different rules that they, that they live under. Uh, yeah. It makes sense that who, who's the patriarch of this whole thing. Well, it's of course, Christopher Plummer. Who else would it be? 
Um, and then I don't have anything until 2015. All right. I've got, um, also in 2015. Yeah. Um, you, you didn't see Danny Collins. Did you? That you're I did not. About? You're talking no. about the other one. Okay. I didn't see the other one. So I'll mention Danny Collins, which is, it's a Dan Fogelman movie, like, you know, crazy, stupid love. And he created this yeah. is us. And like, so you kind of had to know what you're getting into. Um, but, uh, Danny Collins is, is, is not bad. Um, and uh it's a fun role for christopher Plummer because he plays uh you know you're used to him playing sort of like literary types like tolstoy or whatever here he plays a uh uh long in the tooth but still acts younger than his age uh rock and roll manager he's like a flashy Hmm. scarf wearing guy who's uh um al pacino plays a rock star named danny collins who sort of undergoes a uh uh artistic crisis and uh christopher Plummer is the one who's like hey man you got to get out there and play the shows for the people and make us that money or whatever uh interesting hmm. role for him yeah yeah uh yeah the other the the 2015 film of his that i saw was is remember um which i saw somewhat recently uh but uh it's directed by uh adam mcgoyan and so i i watched it to Friend prepare friend of the show i watched it to prepare for his interview and then there was a medical emergency with the the kids and so that didn't happen but i was glad that i saw remember because i do really like this is a bit of an outlier as far as the type of performance that christopher Plummer is is giving now the stuff is revealed about him that sort of fits more with with what he is but this is a guy who is getting old this is very much a movie about a character who is older but doesn't have like is losing the vitality he once did christopher Plummer acted a lot in his older age but often played characters that still had this forceful quality to them whereas here it is this character who is deteriorating a bit uh because he has dementia and he has to remind himself of of things and he's he's going on this journey that you kind of well essentially it's it's uh this this guy who was a a holocaust survivor and he made this uh vow that he would go and and kill this uh this uh, auschwitz guard when the time came well the time has come and he's like 80 years old and so he he's trying to he's he's on this quest and you get a sense that like he doesn't really feel that passionately about it partially because he doesn't have a full memory of things anymore. And so there is this, it's really interesting to watch what he does with this character that like he's, he's, he's pursuing this and he understands on principle that this is a thing he's angry about and he's getting revenge, but he also doesn't seem to feel it quite as much as he maybe once did. And it's a really, a really interesting, the movie I think is, is fine. And there's some twists that I'm not thrilled with, but uh, but that performance is very solid, and it's the kind of thing that that uh, that we are not used to. Because as as I said, like he's a very intelligent actor who seems very sharp, and he's playing a character here who is losing his sharpness, and uh, and he plays that convincingly as well, and and often uh, heartbreakingly. Okay, uh, well, speaking of Nazi shit. Um... Uh, 2016's The Exception, which is a bad movie in more than one way. Um, uh, it's it's just a like uh, dumb movie that thinks it's smart, but also it's 
the exception of the title is Jai Courtney plays a good, nice guy SS officer. <laughs> I don't know what the impetus was uh, to to make a movie about a character like that in the first place. Um, the setting is interesting. Um, Christopher Plummer plays an, another real life character here. Yeah, uh, he plays Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was sent to exile in the Netherlands. Um, uh, I guess after the rise of the Nazi party, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure because it takes place in 1940. Um, and, um, so he's in exile. He doesn't like the Nazis. And, uh, uh, even though he's, uh, yeah, to the movie's credit, it also makes clear that Kaiser Wilhelm himself is also an anti-Semite. He just doesn't like the Nazis because <laughs> sure. they took him out of power. It's not, he's not morally opposed to the Nazis. He right. just wants people to be kissing, uh, his ass instead of Hitler's. Um, and uh jack courtney is sent to be the head of the his i guess security detail and then um jack courtney has a a little love affair with uh wilhelm the second's maid played by one of his maids play lily james um yeah it's a it's a it's just a bad movie and this is one i was going to talk about uh, i was said i would mention earlier um where Helen Mirren was very much not playing wife of famous guy in the last station. Unfortunately, in the exception, the great Janet McTeer is essentially just playing, yeah. you know, the wife role. Um, you know, she does what she can with the few scenes that she, that she has, but it's just, it's, it's just not a great movie. Um, and we've got a couple of, of, we've got a few, not a great movies. I'm really glad that he eventually, that he made another really good movie by the end, because we've got a few not great movies in a row here for me yeah i will so i didn't see the man who invented christmas i, I it it does it didn't look that interesting to me yeah. but the idea of christopher Plummer playing scrooge is like oh let's just do that just do that yeah that would you be know. nice but um the man who invented christmas is like it's garish it looks like it's for kids but i don't know why kids would care about charles dickens writing a christmas carol it, yeah it, it seems very much uh, a miscalculation um uh, Dan Stevens is just like bouncing off the walls in ways that are very unpleasant. Um, <laughs> Christopher Plummer is, is is good as as Scrooge, who's so the the premise of the movie is Dan Stevens is uh, uh, sorry Dan Stevens Dan Stevens as Charles Dickens he's not playing yeah. Dan Stevens um, as Charles Dickens is uh, self financing and rushing to write a Christmas Carol. Um, he's got this inspiration, but he's got like six weeks to get the whole book done because christmas is coming um and uh uh as he writes characters they start to appear to him so like um and scrooge is the main the other characters also sort of like hang out in his study with him while he's writing but scrooge is the main one who's like talking in his ear the whole time um uh yeah it sounds like a conceit i would not enjoy premise uh but um wait you said you would not enjoy it just it's it seems like there's there's a high potential for it to be a little bit too clever um i mean that's or maybe it's not clever enough yeah i would say more not clever enough okay. jonathan price plays charles dickens dad um mm. that's good, that's good uh, and then uh third and final oscar nomination yeah. was for all the money in the world which is he was clearly nominated for the backstory of uh the fact that they shot all of his scenes uh in a super short amount of time because Kevin Spacey was removed yeah. from the photo due to legal uh, sex scandals. It is, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. The backstory is unfortunate 
because it's hard to know if that was, if that's the only reason he was nominated. Because I, the movie I think is at best fine. He's great. I really like what he is doing. Um, and in many ways, he's playing the character in a very straightforward way. Uh, he's, I would say he's not, he's not necessarily throwing you any curveballs, but he's also playing a guy who's, who's pretty straightforward and fairly self-focused, uh, Jay Paul Getty. And yes, there is the fact that he was able to step in and do all and craft a full character in a very small amount of time. But he also does just craft a character and it is the kind of character, you know, it's entirely possible that if the film, if, if the film had come out the way it was intended, maybe Kevin Spacey would have been nominated. Although frankly, I don't know why he was cast at all under, because I, you see him in that heavy makeup and you're like, you know, there are older guys that can just play this. For example, Christopher Plummer, who looks like J Paul Getty, by the way. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a, it's it's one of those things where the film is, again, uh, occasionally good. Uh, I'm I'm invested in in some of the things that are happening. I do like Charlie Plummer. No relation to Christopher Plummer, but I like him as an actor, and I think he does a good job. Um, but it, but because of Christopher Plummer's performance, and I do think the character is written fairly well. Um, I can't dismiss the the film completely because I think he is doing really good work making this character who is who's a real guy and he is he's not necessarily a villain here but he's this guy who's just like wow you are a cold cold bastard uh and i i like that he commits to that while still i think making the character human but also making him enigmatic because after a certain point you're like how do you get to this point how do you get to a point where you are unwilling to where, yes, you seem to love your, your family, but only to a point and you, you will not let yourself be, uh, be pushed around. Uh, it's a really, I feel like you just, you, you wind up coming away with like a lot of questions, like in a good way about this character. And I think he, he really embraces the contradict the seeming contradictions and the enigma of the character. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's so, like I said, it's, it's a film. I feel like occasionally I feel like I'd like to rewatch it mostly because I want to see that performance again. Cause I do like yeah. it. We should do, uh, this is kind of getting into TV. We should do a whole episode on those like weird parallel thought, like Armageddon, deep impact, volcano, Dante's peak, Snow White and the Huntsman mirror sure. mirror because there was all the money in the world. And then there was the FX, I think it was FX miniseries trust. Yeah. What it was called the truth. Yes. It's called truth or trust. I think truth. Okay. It was one of those. Yeah. Um, Maybe it was, it was telling... trust. Cause truth was that, was that film with uh, Robert Redford? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a miniseries that told like the exact same story that was like within months of, yeah. I, I think it might've been the following spring, maybe on, on FX. Uh, it's a weird like phenomenon that those things happen. Um, and especially weird for this thing, you know, it's not an asteroid or a a volcano. Uh, It's a specific true story. All right. Um, 2018's boundaries is unfortunately very bad. He's playing, uh, um, uh, again, I guess kind of against type here. Um, because like with Danny Collins, maybe he's playing a, uh, um, a rascal. Um, and like with the beginners, yeah. he's playing like an, you know, an old man who's still got a lot of life in him, but, um, he plays, uh, Vera Formiga's father. Who's like, um, 
uh, still like a gambler and like um, uh, and worse crimes than that. He's basically a yeah. career criminal, but like you know a low a low level criminal for his entire life. Um, I didn't care much for it. So then we yeah, get to just looking at it uh, here on IMDb because I didn't see it, but like looking at the description, like. Laura and her son Henry are forced to drive her estranged pot dealing carefree father Jack cross country after being kicked out of a nursing home. It's like, ugh. Yeah. The sound it's sound, I'm sure Christopher Plummer does what he can with it. And I like Vera Farmer again. And I like that actor, Lewis McDougall. He was in uh, a monster calls. But uh oh. but yeah, the premise just seems like such a nineties indie type thing. Um and I guess this is a weird thing, like because we're doing this thing now with the profiles where it's people who have passed we're gonna end up like there's some overlap like max von Sydow, who we did a profile on about a year ago yeah was in dream dreamscape uh and uh peter fonda who we did um even more recently um or no before max von Sydow, we did peter fonda is in boundaries mm. um as is uh christopher lloyd <laughs> stay tuned for a future profile oh that's <laughs> all right yeah we uh got a we've got a clock here at bp uh that's assigned to christopher Lloyd. um yeah and so the last one for me uh is 2019's knives out where it's a movie i love in general and i'm actually very enthusiastic about the idea of a of a sequel um because it's like oh it's just this it's another case with this detective that's really exciting to me um but I think one of the things that I like about it is that, and this, I guess this is a screenplay uh, issue, uh, asset, pardon me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of whodunits. I've read many, many, many of them, and I've seen a lot of movies that are that. And one thing that, that tends to happen is that the victim is two-dimensional at best. Like, you, you, you don't really... The, the victim is really more of just a MacGuffin. Uh, and, and then some uh, occasionally you get to know them and, and in something like, like, uh, you know, murder on the orange express or Gosford park is like, Oh, they're kind of a jerk actually. Um, or an absolute monster in the case of knives out. I like that. We really get to know this guy. Uh, the, the patriarch, once again, what very wealthy, uh, but the patriarch of this, of this family uh, who would appear to have committed suicide, but they, it's also suspected that it's murder. Um, and I do like that we are able to see a lot of him and get a sense of who he is without ever fully getting, he, he's never allowed to be a full character because he is in the structure of the film still has to sort of be an idea. If we know, if we know too much about him, then the mystery is solved already. Uh, and so I like from a script structure stra- standpoint, uh, I feel like they handle that character beautifully, but I do really like the performance as well, because he is the kind of guy that you see that he's, he's capable of tremendous compa- compassion, but you also could understand, like, if you're this guy's kid, it would be very frustrating to deal with him. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, uh, I, I think I was a bit more tempered on this movie than a lot of people but um i still recognize um what's fun about it and how much of the fun comes from you know i like i mentioned boundaries not being a very good movie but Mm -hmm. the idea of a mischievous christopher Plummer, even even in his old age you know he's not necessarily you know 
we're talking, we keep using words like patrician and stentorian or whatever, and these very sort of stolid characters, yeah. but he could still be playful, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, where boundaries, uh, missed the mark on that. I think knives out, um, was a, was a, a good, uh, fitting. It's not his final role. Um, right. It's the final one that either of us has seen. I, yeah, there I is this, uh, there's this TV show that I had heard about called departure that is a little bit like the show lost. It was for uh, Peacock. Um, oh. and he, uh, he's a, a major cast member on it. And, uh, it sounds, it sounds interesting. And may, maybe at some point I'll watch it and, uh, I'm sure I will enjoy his, uh, his performance. Well, there was also like a, um, uh, a military movie called the last full measure. Right. Um, which I, which I didn't see. And according to IMDb, there's one more voice, uh, thing called heroes of the golden masks. I don't know what sort of, uh, release that will get. Yeah. That just doesn't he, sound like kind of a movie that gets yeah. a big release. Yeah. And he plays a character named Rizzo. I'd feel like I would never, I wouldn't immediately think of Christopher Plummer <laughs> as like, Hey, who's going to play Rizzo? I think I've got it. Guys, just just hear me out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Canadian Shakespearean actor. Uh, that's what you go to. For yeah, he's this uh, cigar chomping uh, kind of guy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so Christopher Plummer. Yeah, you know, I was I was sad that he had passed away. Obviously, he was an older gentleman, so it's not as though it's it was uh, unexpected. Right. But the thing that I that I really I'm excited about with Christopher Plummer is that, I mean, he, it's not like he faded away and had a comeback or anything like that. It's that this is something we talk about with directors a lot, but like as an actor, I'm so excited that he got this late career surge of like opportunities, like to be in the last station, to be in a uh, girl with yeah. the dragon tattoo yeah. and beginners. And just like these, these, really getting these great opportunities to, to play these great characters and put his personal stamp on them uh, to such an extent that, yeah, there, there are people who I'm sure there, there are younger film fans for whom like they know a lot of like, they, they see him a lot. They saw him a lot in the last 15 years and he was uh, he was a part of movies. They really love girl with dragon tattoo and knives out, whatever it is. And, uh, and that's really exciting when, when an actor or director gets that and, you get to see, or you get a nice reminder of what they are capable of and that they're a, that he was able to not merely act as much as he did, but also play these really vibrant characters uh, towards the end of his, uh, of his life is something that's really, uh, really exciting. He was a, a wonderful actor. All right. Well, we did it. We covered uh, Christopher Plummer. May he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find, you can find reviews of some of the, um, movies we talked about uh, from knives out to boundaries to dreamscape to dragnet you can find reviews of all of those uh by me at least i'm sure other people uh, reviewed other things um, yeah. at battleshipretention.com uh you can email us at david at battleshipretention.com you can uh, or tyler at battleshipretention.com you can follow us on twitter at davy pretension or at tyler pretension um i didn't review anything for the website this this week tyler do you have anything uh to plug uh, I do not. Uh, but I, what I will say is that our Patreon this week, uh, we talk about, um, Asian American filmmakers and we each talk about 
we each, uh, mentioned five notable movies by Asian American filmmakers yeah. and, uh, five and movies was, each nine directors, I think. Cause we, had yes, one, there was one, one bit overlap. Of overlap there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was a fun episode and, uh, you can get some good recommendations out of it. So if you have not subscribed to our, our Patreon, this would be a good week to do so. And, uh, yeah, and next week will be uh, a mailbag episode, which is always fun. Yeah. So, uh, but that's all. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 